Uh, Kevin, our preaching minister, will also be out there uh, at the Next Steps booth. Uh, Next Steps is a process to help you get to know our church a little better, uh, to see if you want to join our journey or not. Uh, And so Kevin will be out there also afterwards, so those are two options for guests if you uh, would like to get to know us a little bit better. Uh, Just a few quick announcements, uh, just to echo some things earlier and also to give some updates. As Johnny already said, we have less than a month away from our 127 run, uh, and we have one week left if you want to guarantee a race shirt uh, to go ahead and register for that online at collegehills.org under ministries, or you can get a form out in the foyer at the tables there, and you can find out other ways that you can help. Uh, We're excited about introducing some new members this morning. Uh, Lloyd and Sandra Brooks uh, and their son Jamar are placing membership with us, uh, and we are really glad that they are here. If you see them around today, please be sure to welcome them, greet them, and let them know that you're excited for them to join our journey. Uh, And last announcement, last week there was a special uh, presentation about the four-year renovation that's coming. If you have questions or curiosities about that, want to hear more or see more, I encourage you to listen to the podcast last week uh, that recorded Mike and Kevin and their presentation. Uh, Or if you want to see what is going to be coming, you can go out to the foyer uh, and see that as well. And if you have any questions, uh, feel free to reach out to a minister or an elder. Uh, We are in the midst of the series that Kevin has entitled, Behold Our God. And today uh, we are in Isaiah 40, which Kevin read for us just a bit ago. So let's pray and then let's jump into our sermon for this morning. Father, we're grateful for today. Um, as we have been reminded that you are a good God, uh, we have been reminded that you love us so much that you would send your Son for us. And now we pray that you would bless this preaching this morning and that the, the preaching and teaching would reflect your nature and your character and who you're calling us to be. And so I pray this morning for the gift of preaching and teaching that you would pour through me that gift. Uh, But give us all open and soft hearts um, to hear your voice and to be changed by it. And that you would continue the slow and steady work of transformation of us into the image of Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Have you ever thought about quitting faith? I thought I'd start with an easy question this morning. Have you ever walked the journey of faith so long that you reached a point or a season where you weren't sure if you could walk much further? Maybe it was a question, maybe it was an experience, maybe it was a church, maybe it was a person or a situation that threw you so much that your faith went everywhere and you weren't sure if you could hold on to faith anymore. A couple months ago there was a post on the internet that went viral. and The post was a response Uh, from a well-known leader of a Christian band in response to another well-known leader of a Christian band. And this other leader had declared just a few days earlier uh, that he was leaving the Christian faith. And this other leader of the Christian band wrote a response to him 
and to the statement that he had made declaring that he was leaving the faith. It was kind of like a battle of the band's faith edition on the internet. And, and the response to the individual who had left the faith went viral because this lead singer of this well-known Christian band wasn't just writing to him as much as he was writing to Christians everywhere, writing to the church. And there was a lot of interesting and provocative points that he made, but the one that stuck out to me most was the point that he made that the questions and concerns that ultimately drove this person away from Christian faith are questions and concerns that the people of God have been wrestling with for hundreds, if not thousands of years. That built into the story of the people of God is this story of wrestling with questions and concerns and doubts. In fact, if you have ever even found your play, yourself in a place where your faith feels fragile, then please know that you are in good company with the people of God. Because one of the benefits and blessings of the landscape of Scripture is that the more that we explore it, the more that we realize this is a place that the people of God have been before. And it's important for us to pay attention to those texts and those passages where we see the people of God wrestling with faith, but also with how God responds to their wrestling of faith because it gives us wisdom and insight for how we might journey ahead as people of faith. And that's especially important for our passage this morning in Isaiah 40, that, that we pay attention to not just the content of Isaiah 41 through 11, but also the context of Isaiah 41 through 11. Because the context of this chapter is one in which the people of God find themselves in a difficult and dislocated place. As Kevin reminded us in the very first sermon in this series, the book of Isaiah can really be divided into two big halves. Isaiah 1 through 39 and Isaiah 40 through 66. And that space in between 39 and 40 is really important for us to pay attention to. Because it's in that space between 39 and 40 that the people of God find themselves in exile. They find themselves in a place far from home. They find themselves in a place that is unfamiliar and uncertain. And home was critical for the people of God because home was where the temple was, and the temple was where God was. And now that they were far away from the temple and the temple had been destroyed, the center of their faith had been annihilated. And so while they're far from home, they're asking all of these kinds of questions like, if God is so good, then why could this bad thing happen to me? If the center of my faith becomes destroyed, then what does that mean for my faith? Who is God and what is God really like? These were the kinds of questions that are rattling around in the minds and hearts of the people of God between chapter 39 and chapter 40. That little space 
is a very difficult place that the people of God find themselves in. They have a lot of questions, they have a lot of concerns, they have a lot of doubt and disillusionment and dislocation from the faith that they knew. And it's with that context in mind that we need to hear these words of Isaiah 40, 1 through 11, because it is into that situation that we hear this word and promise of Isaiah. In fact, we don't just hear a word from Isaiah, we hear a word from the Lord because this passage starts out with, Comfort, O comfort my people, says the Lord. God does not put this up for negotiation. God is bringing his comfort to these people. And then as those next 11 verses unfold, as we have been talking about the last few weeks, we hear more and more about the nature of who God is. And this opening passage, 1 through 11, then culminates in verse 11, where we read this powerful image of God as this one who shepherds his flock, as one who who draws the sheep close to his heart, as one who gently leads the people. We are are given this significant moment right here in the first 11 verses of Isaiah. They, They kind of serve as a hinge for the rest of the book. And it's really important that we pay attention to the frame of this hinge because it's going to drive the rest of the action from chapter 40 all the way to chapter 66. And there is this very particular image of God that is given that is going to drive the rest of the book. And it's this image of God as a good and compassionate shepherd. And that image is going to be central to the way that the people of God understand who God is for the rest of the story of Scripture. This isn't an image that we need to skip over quickly. This becomes one of the primary images for how they envision who God is. And so when David writes his psalm that we read earlier in Psalm 23, of all the images of God that he could have picked in a difficult place, he picks this image, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then he goes on in Psalm 23 to describe the kind of shepherd that God is. It's this God who fills his cup. It's this God who leads him to quiet and restorative places. It's this God who takes care of him. Then when Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 34, is critiquing the leaders of God, critiquing the shepherds of God's people, he not only critiques what they're doing, but he also holds himself up as an example of the kind of shepherd and leader that they should be. And he says that he is a shepherd who runs after scattered sheep. He's a a shepherd who tends and mends and takes care of broken and bruised sheep. And then we get to Micah chapter 5, and Micah also pulls on this image, and he's speaking to the town of Bethlehem, and he's speaking about what is going to come to this town. And he tells them that a ruler is going to come who's going to rule over them, and who is going to tend them, feed them, take care of them in the strength of the Lord. This is 
a central image for the people of God from Isaiah all the way until Micah. And so what Isaiah says here in verses 1 through 11 becomes this kind of promise that the people of God hold on to decade after decade after decade. So that when Jesus shows up and Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. He is saying something about this image, that this image is now being taken on as flesh in the person and work of Jesus. That Jesus comes to show us what God is like, and Jesus comes to show us the kind of shepherd that Jesus is intended to be, the kind of shepherd that God has promised to the people. We see it in the person and work and ministry of Jesus Christ. And one of the best examples of this happens in Matthew chapter 9, where Matthew is kind of describing the ministry of Jesus. He calls the disciples. He is doing the Sermon on the Mount. And then there are these series of chapters where he is telling these stories that reveal the identity of Jesus. And then we get to Matthew chapter 9, right before he's about to call the 12 apostles. And there's a small little passage from verse 35 to 38 where we read this, that that Jesus was going throughout the entire countryside proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And then when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. And then he says to the disciples that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are are few, therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers. Matthew does something really significant here because he draws upon all of those promises of Isaiah and Ezekiel and Micah and he says to us that we are now seeing the fulfillment of those those promises in the person of Jesus. That Jesus comes to show us what the good shepherd is like. And maybe what's most significant about this passage in Matthew is the verse right in the middle. Where where Matthew doesn't just describe who Jesus is, but also how Jesus responds. But what he tells us is that when Jesus sees these crowds who are harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, he has compassion on them. Jesus' response is that of compassion. The God that we see in Jesus is a good shepherd of compassion. And so when Jesus sees lost and hurting people, when Jesus sees harassed and helpless people, when Jesus sees people who are disillusioned and doubtful and at the end of their rope and they don't feel like they can go on this faith journey much longer... His response is compassion. I like the way that the message renders this verse. It it says, when he had seen the crowds, his heart broke. But the heart of Jesus breaks for these people who feel uncertain and confused. The heart of Jesus breaks for these men and women who were like sheep without a shepherd. 
and it's important for us to see this response of Jesus because the Jesus who responds then like that to those people is the same Jesus who responds now in the same ways to you and to me. That when we feel helpless and harassed, when we feel like we're at the end of our rope, when we feel like we can't go on this faith journey much longer, Jesus' heart breaks for us. Jesus' heart breaks for you, and Jesus' heart breaks for me. That Jesus' compassion is given freely and generously to anyone who finds themselves at the end of their rope, to anyone who finds themselves in the valley of the shadow of death. The response of Jesus then and the response of Jesus now is that of compassion. His heart goes out to you. His heart breaks for us. And that is a truth and a promise that I want us all to rest in, to find comfort in. Because that's a promise we all need. Because guess what? We're all going through some stuff. All of us have stuff that we're going through. And there is no more beautiful promise than to know that in all of the uncertainty that we can feel sometimes, that the response from Jesus to us is that of compassion. And that's a promise I want us to rest in. And it's also an important point for us to see how the rest of the passage ends. Because in the very next verses, verses 37 and 38, Jesus also says something to the disciples that we cannot miss. He tells them that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are are few, so pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers. And we love verse 37 and 38, but we very often read verses 37 and 38 out of context. And we can end up moving and shaping these verses in all kinds of ways. And sometimes those are really unhelpful ways, and so it's really important for us to see what Jesus does right before he speaks these words. Jesus has this compassionate, breaking heart moment for the people, and then, in the very next moment, he sends his disciples out. And he prays that workers would go out into the harvest because Jesus knows there's a lot of hurting and harassed people in the world. But he's not just sending out any kind of worker. He's sending out workers who reflect the same compassionate spirit of Jesus. That he is commissioning us to be workers for God, but not just any kind of workers. Workers and laborers and disciples who reflect the compassion of God to the world, who reflect the care and concern and broken heart of Jesus for the world. But those are the kinds of people that we're called to be. We rest in this promise of Jesus and then we go out and faithfully reflect that promise to the world. And I'm really grateful that that is the kind of community we're trying to be here at College Hills. 
This past week, I had the privilege of, of going to uh, the house of a couple with two shepherds. And this couple had asked us to come and pray with them. And so we went to their house and we spent some time with them that evening. Uh, and we listened and we cried and we prayed. And this is, these are some people who are going through a really hard time. And there are no easy answers to their situation. And we were about to, to leave for the night and we were sitting there. And one of the shepherds said to them, I don't know why all of this is happening to you right now. But I want you to know that you are dearly loved. And it was in that moment that I got a glimpse of the compassion of Jesus. A couple days later, I got a text uh, from someone at this church who said, I don't, I don't really have a, a big reason to text you other than I wanted you to know the things that people in my Bible class are doing for me right now. And she went on to list all of the things, meals and babysitters and prayers and visits and calls and texts. And she said, I just wanted you as a leader to know some of the stuff that happens behind the scenes that no one ever sees. The good and generous and compassionate things people are doing for each other. And it was in that moment I saw a glimpse of the compassion of Jesus. This is in our DNA as a church. It's, it's about who we are. I was talking to someone recently about the Fellowship House. It was started back in the 80s and 90s by a few people here. And the reason why the Fellowship House was started was because College Street was hosting AA meetings in their building. And they wanted to create a place where they could have those meetings and help people in recovery. And so money was raised and a house was purchased. And this place became this kind of oasis for people who were moving through recovery. And today, this is still a vibrant ministry. They have 22 AA meetings there a week. And it's so cool to see how this ministry has bloomed and blossomed. This Thursday, they're having a big meal to celebrate and to fundraise for this important ministry. I've got my ticket. I encourage you to go. It's this beautiful place that you can support the compassion of Jesus that's in the DNA of this church. I think of a couple years ago when there was a story in Nashville of a homeless man who had died in the cold winter night. And so several churches in Wilson County said, we do not want that to happen in our county. And so churches came together to form the Compassionate Hands Ministry with one mission statement, that no one will go cold in the winter who doesn't have to. And so now it's this ministry for the homeless that will start in just a few months. Yes, it will eventually get cold again, I promise. And it's going to be this great thing. All these churches from all over the county coming together to show compassion to some helpless and harassed people. It's the kind of church that we're called to be. That's the kind of church that we are, and that's the kind of church I call us to be. Because at the end of the day, the church is people. The church is not some abstract thing out there. You're the church, and I'm the church, and we're the church, and so it's up to us to go out with that same compassionate spirit, to let our heart be broken for the sake of the world, and when we see people who are hurting and lost, when we see people who are at the end of their rope, when we see people who are doubtful and disillusioned, that our first 
response would always be to show compassion. And when we do, we will begin to reflect the kind of people that God wants us to be. So let's treat each other with compassion, and let's treat the world with compassion. Let's pray. God, we're grateful that you see us when we're confused and doubtful, we're hurting, we're uncertain, and we are grateful for the promise of your compassion to each and every one of us, that you pull us close to your chest and you carry us home. I pray that we would experience deeply that love and care and compassion and that you would send us out in the world to be those kinds of people. May we treat each other with more care and compassion and may we treat the men and women who we will encounter this week with more care and compassion. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have any response to the invitation this morning, you can come forward and make that response. If you would rather not come to the front, we have shepherding couples in the back who will pray for you and show you care and comfort. Whatever your need is, you can do that now while we stand and sing.